Welcome to American Lit. I'm Steve Hamstra. Come on in and we'll explore the letters and literature of our American forebears. This is episode 48 of American Lit, and today we're back with our good friend Ralph Waldo Emerson, of course the iconic uh, 19th century American author and speaker, and also noted transcendentalist. Uh, He extols nature in unbelievable superlatives uh, in his writing and uh, basically writes things that uh, uh, sound pretty random and rambling uh, about apples, uh, long walks in the countryside, uh, great vistas, uh, so on and so forth. So where better to get all these feels from Ralph Waldo Emerson than in his famous essay entitled Nature? Uh, It was published in 1836 and really is a foundational text of transcendentalism. Here we go. To go into solitude, a man needs to retire as much from his chamber as from society. I am not solitary whilst I read and write, though nobody is with me. But if a man would be alone, let him look at the stars. The rays that come from those heavenly worlds will separate between him and what he touches. And one might think the atmosphere was made transparent with this design to give man in the heavenly bodies the perpetual presence of the sublime. Seen in the streets of cities, how great they are. If the stars should appear one night in a thousand years, how men would believe and adore and preserve for many generations the remembrance of the city of God which had been shown. But every night come out these envoys of beauty and light the universe with their astonishing smile. The stars awaken a certain reverence, because, though always present, they are inaccessible. But all natural objects make a kindred impression when the mind is open to their influence. Nature never wears a mean appearance. Neither does the wisest man extort her secret and lose his curiosity by finding out all her perfection. Nature never became a toy to a wise spirit. The flowers, the animals, the mountains reflected the wisdom of his best hour as much as they had delighted the simplicity of his childhood. When we speak of nature in this manner, we have a distinct but most poetical sense in the mind. We mean the integrity of impression made by manifold natural objects. It is this which distinguishes the stick of timber of the woodcutter from the tree of the poet. The charming landscape which I saw this morning is indubitably made up of some twenty or thirty farms. Miller owns this field, Locke that, and Manning the woodland beyond. But none of them owns the landscape. There is a property in the horizon which no man has but he whose eye can integrate all the parts, that is, the poet. This is the best part of these men's farms. 
yet to this their warranty deeds give no title. To speak truly, few adult persons can see nature. Most persons do not see the sun. At least they have a very superficial seeing. The sun illuminates only the eye of the man, but shines into the eye and the heart of the child. The lover of nature is he whose inward and outward senses are still truly adjusted to each other, who has retained the spirit of infancy even into the era of manhood. His intercourse with heaven and earth becomes part of his daily food. In the presence of nature, a wild delight runs through the man in spite of real sorrows. Nature says, he is my creature, and maugre all his impertinent griefs. He shall be glad with me. Not the sun or the summer alone, but every hour in season yields its tribute of delight. For every hour and change corresponds to and authorizes a different state of mind, from breathless noon to grimmest midnight. Nature is a setting that fits equally well a comic or a mourning piece. In good health, the air is a cordial of incredible virtue. Crossing a bear common in snow puddles at twilight under a clouded sky, without having in my thoughts any occurrence of special good fortune, I have enjoyed a perfect exhilaration. I am glad to the brink of fear. In the woods, too, a man casts off his years as the snake his slough. And at what period soever of life is always a child. In the woods is perpetual youth. Within these plantations of God a decorum and sanctity reign. A perennial festival is dressed, and the guest sees not how he should tire of them in a thousand years. In the woods we return to reason and faith. There I feel that nothing can befall me in life, no disgrace, no calamity, leaving me my eyes, which nature cannot repair. Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air, and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. The name of the nearest friend sounds then foreign and accidental. To be brothers, to be acquaintances, master or servant, is then a trifle and a disturbance. I am the lover of uncontained and immortal beauty. In the wilderness I find something more dear and connate than in streets or villages. In the tranquil landscape, and especially in the distant line of the horizon, man beholds somewhat as beautiful as his own nature. 
The greatest delight which the fields and woods minister is the suggestion of an occult relation between man and the vegetable. I am not alone and unacknowledged. They nod to me and I to them. The waving of the boughs in the storm is new to me and old. It takes me by surprise and yet is not unknown. Its effect is like that of a higher thought or a better emotion coming over me when I deemed I was thinking justly or doing right. Yet it is certain that the power to produce this delight does not reside in nature but in man or in a harmony of both. It is necessary to use these pleasures with great temperance. For nature is not always tricked in holiday attire, but the same scene which yesterday breathed perfume and glittered as for the frolic of the nymphs is overspread with melancholy today. Nature always wears the colors of the spirit. To a man laboring under calamity, the heat of his own fire hath sadness in it. Then there is a kind of contempt of the landscape felt by him who has just lost by death a dear friend. The sky is less grand as it shuts down over less worth in the population. Mm, And it goes on and on from there. Eight chapters in all, in fact. Well, did you uh, find some words to live by? In there? How about this one? How about this one? In the woods, we return to reason and faith. Ooh, that's, uh, that's got to be on a national park placard somewhere, I think. Uh, how about this line? How about this one? Crossing a bear common in snow puddles at twilight under a clouded sky without having in my thoughts any occurrence of special good fortune, I have enjoyed a perfect exhilaration. Ooh, that sounds amazing. I'll take one of those, please. Ah, I'll post the uh, whole essay on our Twitter feed. That's at American underscore lit. And uh, get a gander at that. And perhaps you might share your favorite quote from nature there as well. Or better yet, head on over to American Lit on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And uh, leave a good review there and include in that review your favorite line from Emerson and, of course, that classic American flag emoji. All right, time to retire from my chamber and go out and really see nature. That's it for our show today. Find this episode anytime at AmericanLit.com, where you'll also find lots more good literature and letters. That's AmericanLit.com. And you can also find us on Twitter at at American underscore lit. Goodbye, friend, and God bless you.